Welcome to Petrifaction. I'm your host, Petey. And if you like stories about ghosts, monsters, vampires, the weird and mysterious, UFOs, Bigfoot, and other cryptids, you're in the right place. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Remember, friends, be prepared to be petrified. Hello, everybody. Season's greetings. It is nearly Christmas. I hope you're all in the mood for Christmas and having a wonderful holiday season. Hope your Thanksgiving was wonderful, too. Today's show is the finale for season one. We're at episode 24, and there's been a few bonuses and trailers and what have you. And at episode 24, it's the end of our season. So we're going to go out with some Christmas spirit. Now the show is actually going to be about Robert Lazar. And I know this is petrifaction horror stories. And the Bob Lazar story is really not a horror story per se, unless you're Bob Lazar. I think for him this whole ordeal has been um, a horror. I think that if he could go back in time, he would have changed things. But this episode is about him. And then to top it off, we're going to end with a short talk about Krampus. Who or what is Krampus? You're going to find out. So stay tuned after the Bob Lazar story and learn a little bit about Krampus. And I want to wish you, each and every one of you, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Now this next story is going to be about Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar was born Robert Scott Lazar, and for those who don't know who he is, he's an American scientist who claims to have been hired in the late 1980s to reverse engineer extraterrestrial technology at what he described as a secret site called S4. Lazar alleges that this subsidiary installation is located several miles south of the United States Air Force facility, popularly known as Area 51. Lazar claims that he examined an alien craft that ran on antimatter, 
and it was powered by Element 115, which at the time had not yet been synthesized. In May of 1989, he appeared with his face hidden in an interview with investigative reporter George Knapp on Las Vegas television station KLAS under the pseudonym Dennis. Lazar discussed his purported employment at S4, a subsidiary facility located south of Area 51. He claimed the site consisted of concealed aircraft hangars built into a mountainside. Lazar said that his job was to help with the reverse engineering of one of nine flying saucers, which he alleged were extraterrestrial in origin. He claims one of the flying saucers, the one that he coined the sports model, was manufactured out of a metallic substance similar in appearance and touch to stainless steel. In a subsequent interview that November, Lazar appeared unmasked and under his own name, and he claimed that his job interview for work at the facility was with um, the employer was the U.S. Navy. Lazar has claimed that the propulsion of the studied craft ran on antimatter reactor and was fueled by the chemical element with atomic number 115, which had not yet been artificially created. Lazar has also said that the craft was dismantled and the reactor he studied was topped by a sphere or a semisphere, which emitted a force that was capable of repulsing human flesh. And he explains that the craft was split into two main levels. The reactor was positioned at the center of the upper level, and it had an antenna that extended to the top, and it was surrounded by three gravity amplifiers. These connected to gravity emitters on the lower level, which can rotate 180 degrees to output a gravity beam or anti-gravity wave, and that the craft would then travel belly first into this distortion field. Lazar additionally claimed that he read briefing documents describing the involvement of extraterrestrial beings described as gray aliens from a planet orbiting the twin binary star system, Zeta Reticuli. In 1989, Lazar said the seats of the saucer he saw were approximately child-sized and that a nickname used for the aliens was The Kids. In 2017, the New York Times revealed the existence of the U.S. government's Advanced Airspace Threat Identification Program, also known as ATIP. It had been created a decade earlier to analyze unexplained phenomena. The Navy has since publicly verified three videos that show unidentified craft violating the laws of aerodynamics. And apparently there are more. What was once the stuff of supermarket tabloids is now taken seriously by politicians and scientists. So isn't it time that Bob Lazar got a second hearing in court of public opinion? The man put Area 51 on the pop cultural map. The author says, I remember thinking Bob must be smoking crack out of a Bunsen burner. But here's the thing, 30 years later, nothing Lazar has said has been disproven. Nothing. 
The skeptics want to discredit him based on allegations that he falsified his education or previous employment with the Los Alamos National Lab. Knapp visited that lab with Lazar, and they were granted access without showing credentials. Security recognized Lazar, who gave Knapp a guided tour while waving to former colleagues who waved back. If Lazar really worked at Los Alamos, which officially has no record of him, why should we question his Area 51 claims? There's also no record of his birth. Does that mean he doesn't exist? In a video authenticated by the Navy this year, a spacecraft is rotating and flying belly up, exactly as Lazar described in the 80s. It's eerie. When he first talked about element 115 as a possible power source of anti-gravitational propulsion, it didn't exist on the periodic table, and now it does. What about his sketches that could now be blueprints for UFOs? The author goes on to say, As far as I can tell, Bob Lazar has been vindicated at every turn. And you know what? Perhaps the world owes him an apology. Astrophysicist Eric W. Davis worked with the Pentagon until 2007 and now works for Aerospace Corporation. Davis claims to have briefed the Defense Department agency earlier this year about retrievals from off-world vehicles not made on this earth. He also claims to have briefed the Senate Armed Services Committee back in October of 2019 and then to the Senate Intelligence Committee a few days later. In Davis's findings, there have been multiple times where they were not able to find an origin of what they were looking at, which led to the thought, we couldn't make it ourselves. And Bob Lazar had this to say. Finally, after 30 years waiting, the government admits to possessing alien craft. Time will tell as to what happens next. Personally, I doubt they will disclose much more and wouldn't be surprised if they issue a correction and say their statement was an error. In any case, I never thought I'd see this day. Thanks so much to all of you that supported me throughout the years. On another note, this is the only social media account I have. No Facebook, no Twitter. There are apparently lots of imposters out there. Now, Lazar has never once tried to profit from his whistleblowing that ruined his career. He's not on any lucrative speaking circuits. He's not, he's not selling kitschy t-shirts of little green men. He goes about his business in the shadow of infamy, and ridicule. 30 years later, he just wants to move on and change the subject. He wants breathing room amid the suffocation of terrestrial doubt. But if, as reported this week, more UFO relations revelations are forthcoming and they involve new insights on retrieved metamaterials not of this world, isn't it time to set the record straight on our most famous UFO whistleblower? Bob Lazar is either a diabolical liar or some kind of hero, but he can't be both. Videos from the last 20 years have been declassified and presented to the public. The dark and grainy videos featuring UFOs 
were first released by Tom DeLonge's To the Stars Academy years beforehand, but they're now officially available. The DDOD is releasing the videos in order to clear up any misconceptions by the public on whether or not the footage that has been circulating was real or whether or not there is more to the videos. The DOD Department of Defense said in a statement released along with the clips, the aerial phenomena observed in the videos remain characterized as unidentified. So while the Pentagon is open to releasing information on UFOs to the public, they aren't releasing everything. Many are already under the assumption that a cover-up is in play after former Nevada Senator Harry Reid's comments were edited out of the original New York Times article. The update is no longer able to be viewed, but it still has Reid's following comments. After looking into this, I came to the conclusion that there were reports some were substantive, some were not substantive, that there were actual materials that the government and the private sector had in their possession, says Reed. As of this writing, no crash evidence has been made public, though. Paul, Bob Lazar and others are ready for the government to finally reveal more. As for the videos released over the past few years, they remain unexplained. The New York Times was the first to report on the alien craft not made of this world. One of Lazar's many claims is that the craft he was put in charge of flies belly first. That is, it focuses its gravity amplifiers towards one spot and takes off. I'll summarize the events for those that haven't yet seen the documentary. A farming couple... Paul and Evelyn Trent describe seeing a UFO and snapping a photograph of it. Known as the McMinnville UFO photo, it became one of the most famous UFO photos ever taken. But here is where it gets interesting. In the documentary, Evelyn says, Right before the object took off at almost instantaneous speeds, it tipped on its side. In other words, it took off belly first. Later in the documentary, hundreds of school students in Melbourne, Australia, saw an object hovering over a power line. Dee Sadake, one of the witnesses, says that the object turned on its side and I could see that it was a round disc. Another said that the disc lay flat on its belly with only a slight buzzing sound as it ascended. Bob Lazar claims he saw a test flight of the saucer and that it took off silently, save for a slightly high voltage buzz. The same witness said, and I quote, took off about five meters in the air, turned to its side belly first, and went straight up fast. So it seems to me highly unlikely these witnesses, students, and the entire teaching staff would fabricate this story. It's also interesting to mention Four days er earlier, an engineer snapped a photograph of a bell-shaped UFO tipped on its side. He said it bounced in distortion and took off almost instantaneously. These all seem to be independent anecdotal sources that, though far from hard evidence, should raise some eyebrows.
for any of you who may not know who Robert Bigelow is, he's a billionaire and he made his money first in real estate as the owner of a hotel chain and then later as founder of Bigelow Aerospace. In 1996, he purchased Genwalker Ranch, which became part of the ATIP program where the government funded research into the paranormal happenings at this ranch. Lazar and Bigelow formed a company together called Zeta Reticuli II, and Bigelow financed a small lab for Lazar to conduct work. This is what Bigelow has to say about Bob Lazar. Bob was intriguing because he knew so much. And Bigelow said, he's a smart guy, he's no dummy. He's a smart man. He's a smart guy and, and very creative. So again, I say that the preponderance of evidence to me is in his favor that he's by and large legitimate. And regarding the ATIP program, a consultant for the Pentagon UFO program is speaking out about retrievals from off-world vehicles not made on this earth. Eric W. Davis, an astrophysicist who worked as a subcontractor and then a consultant for the Pentagon UFO program since 2007, told the New York Times he gave a classified briefing to a Defense Department agency as recently as March about the alleged off-world vehicles. He also gave classified briefings on the retrievals of unexplained objects to staff members of the Senate Armed Services Committee and the Senate Intelligence Committee last October. Davis said that in some cases, he had failed to determine the source of recovered materials, leading him to conclude we couldn't make it ourselves. And more about Bob Lazar. An interesting video can be found online and was published about two months ago. Lazar has built a functioning water-powered vehicle. In the, vi in the video, Lazar shows off what he called his water-powered car. Now, Lazar said that a car could not use water as fuel. However, it can be used as a source material. He went on to explain that electricity could be run through the car and it will break down the hydrogen and the oxygen and it'll give off oxygen, which of course is clean and we breathe, and the hydrogen can then be burnt. Listening to the radio in December, it's unlikely that you're going to hear songs singing the praises of Krampus. Krampus is a half goat, half demon, a horrific beast 
who literally beats people into being nice and not naughty. Bearing horns, dark hair fangs, and a long tongue, the anti-Saint Nick comes with a chain and bells that he lashes about, along with a bundle of birch sticks meant to swat naughty children. He then hauls the bad kids down to the underworld. You better watch out. In Catholicism, St. Nicholas is the patron saint of children. His saint's day falls in early December, which helped strengthen his association with the Yuletide season. Many European cultures not only welcomed the kindly man as a figure of generosity and benevolence, but they also feared his menacing counterpart, who punished the bad. Parts of Germany and Austria dread the beastly Krampus, while other Germanic regions have Belsnickel and Rep- Reprecht. Sorry, these are a little hard to uh, pronounce. They're black-bearded men who carry switches to beat children. And other countries like France and the Netherlands also have something very similar to Krampus. Krampus names derived from the Germanic word Krampen, meaning claw, and is said to be the son of hell in Norse mythology. The legendary beast allows also shares characteristics with other scary demonic creatures in Greek mythology, including fauns and satyrs. The legend is part of a centuries-old Christmas tradition in Germany, where Christmas celebrations begin in early December. Krampus was, re- was created as a counterpart to the kindly Saint Nick, who rewarded children with sweets. Krampus, in contrast, would swat wicked children, stuff them in a sack, and take them away to his lair. According to folklore, Krampus purportedly shows up in towns the night of December 5th, known as Krampus Knot or Krampus Night. The next day, December 6th, is Nicholas Dog or St. Nicholas Day, when children look outside their door to see if the shoe or boot they left out the night before contains either a present for good behavior or a rod for bad behavior. A more modern take on the tradition in Austria, Germany, Hungary, Slovenia, and the Czech Republic involves drunken men dressed as devils who take over the streets It's kind of a Krampus run of sorts when people are chased through the streets by devils. Merry or not so merry Krampus. This beast with Germanic roots is St. Nicholas's other half and scares children into being nice, not naughty. Why scare children with a demonic pagan monster? Maybe it's a way for humans to get in touch with their animalistic side. Such impulses may be about assuming a dual personality. The person dressed as the beast becomes mysterious. Krampus has been having a resurgence over the past few years, thanks partly to a bah humbug attitude in pop culture, with people searching for ways to celebrate the Yuletide season in non-traditional ways. In the United States, people are embracing the dark side of Christmas with Krampus movies, special Krampus television episodes, They're throwing Krampus parties and attending Krampus knots in cities like D.C. and New Orleans and running Krampus-themed races like How Krampus 
crimp the Christmas devil became cool. For its part, Austria is attempting to commercialize the harsh persona of Krampus by selling chocolates, figurines, and collectible horns. They are already There are already complaints that Krampus is becoming too commercialized and losing its edge because of his newfound popularity. So there you go. Krampus was actually a myth- mythological character, not just a dude in a movie that was made up for Christmas. And uh, that's going to kind of conclude today's episode. I do wish you again all a happy holiday season. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah, uh, whatever you celebrate. I wish you all joy and happiness. Farewell to you for this year, 2021 ending. And I look forward to a new season beginning in 2022. So keep posted. It'll be coming. All right, folks. Have a good one. Petey out. that's all for today's podcast. I thank you for tuning in and I hope you liked the show. If you did, please tell a friend, give us a rating and hit subscribe. If you have a story you would like to share on Petrifaction, you can contact me at pd at petrifaction at protonmail.com. And remember to check out today's show notes for more information on today's stories. Please return next time to hear more stories and friends be prepared to be petrified.